Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, how are you guys doing? This episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. Now the Ukrainian counteroffensive is moving. I think it's moving actually fairly decently. I got a mapping that I've actually, for the first time I've ever seen, there's a gentleman named Nathan... Can't say his last name, honestly. Not because I don't want to, because I don't know what it is. NRG. That's all I know. Anyway, this gentleman has uh, spent a significant amount of time. I'm going to go, I'm going to look at this mapping here in a minute, but he went through and actually labeled, not really labeled, but outlined every single Russian trench fortification, some type of line that you can definitively see on aerial map. I think it's actually really good. Like satellite imagery. It's it's pretty good. I personally would never take the time to do this because I don't think I have enough time in my day to do this, but I give this man props. So I'm going to be looking at this map quite often. You guys are going to see me using this thing just because it up until the Ukrainians at some point possibly bust through the lines, which I don't know if they're going to, they might. What you guys are seeing right now is not them busting through. I'm not going to say the heavily, heavily fortified line. There are, there are lines, but they're not like the real lines they have to worry about thus far. We are going to look and see why they're pushing through the area they are and why they're actually getting a little bit more ground here than they are on the, the eastern or excuse me, the western side of the front. It has to do with uh, the way things are laid out. I think they're going through an area that's it's a little bit more open and has more gun position set up on it, which you guys will see here. It looks it looks like my seven-year-old drew it, but what you guys, we'll see here in a second. But before that, I'm going to tell you guys the Bradley situation. I think they've lost 16% of the Bradleys. I actually have it's the, around that. Yeah. I have the, oh, it's 15%. God, I almost had it. They've lost 16 Bradleys, which is 15% of the Bradleys that was given to them so far. Um, I, I do know they're going to get some more because, <laughs> I mean, that's not very good. That's well, not, it's not the, very good. At the all. U.S. released another $325 million package <laughs> that's going to just replace 15 Bradleys. That's what I'm saying. So they're going to replace those back. and the strikers. But that's the thing is, you know, America can, from the numbers I've seen, America is somewhere between four and 6,000 Bradleys. So supplying them is not the problem. It's the training that's the problem. So 16 Bradleys. I used to ride around in one of these, by the way. So I can actually have a funny story. First time getting to my unit. I got there. We were mechanized. By the time I left, we were light. So I got best of both worlds. And I'm hell. By the time I left there, that unit was light. I was already on my way out. I was going to uh, special operations shit, and I I just uh, I got to see the whole. I got to see everything. Thank God, it was the greatest experience for me to understand both sides of our military. And I arrived at my unit, and the very first day, the very first thing I ever did was ride in the back of a Bradley, and I was confused as shit. I had no idea what was going on. Right. What I mean, I had no idea what was going on. All I was told was, you got to go down to the motor pool. I had no idea what the fuck the motor pool was or what the motor pool was. So I had to follow somebody down there. And I got there and I had to go literally sit in the back of one of these motherfuckers and just ride around. Loud, bumpy. They're actually kind of fast, but you don't know what the fuck's going on when you're inside of them. You can't see anything. You're, you're just in them. You're yeah. just there. Yeah. The only people that know are the three people that I can see. The gunner, well, the TC, the gunner, and the... Uh, and the driver. Yeah. That's fucking it. Oh, yeah. That's it. But, needless to say, these things got blown up and hit by 
I'm not gonna, I was about to say IEDs, but just this mines. That's how they lost most of them. Then they're hit with artillery and everything else. But the thing that people don't understand if they've never been around track vehicles is they're really, really good until the track is broken. That's it. Then it's useless. It's the most heavy paper weighted thing. You can fix tracks, which you can see on the side of most of these things. You'll see extra track links. But the thing is when you blow a fucking track, you're not fixing that son of a bitch. Cause then you have the wheels to worry about. They've got to get towed out of there, which I think that thing we called was a met or a fet. I don't know. It was a massive, we've had, we had to use them every once in a while and they're fucking huge. I think they're called a FET or a MET. Someone's going to correct me down in the comments. I already know it's massive. When I mean, it's fucking huge. Yeah. It's like, is, it's is so yours just an Abrams without the turret? I think it is like an Abrams. Yeah, so like we, we have it's like a, I don't know if it's an it's Abrams. It's like a big it's, Abrams. It's huge and it's got this thing on it like this in the front. It's just so big. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's as big. But it's meant to tow these son of a bitches, which I would assume they have some of those over there because they're going to need to do recovery ops every once in a while. But I don't know. I just think it's kind of funny actually seeing Bradley's being utilized overseas. And I don't think our military is using them very much anymore. I don't, I mean, I know we sold a bunch of the Israelis. I know we sold a bunch of them. I don't really think it's like a big piece of our, like it used to be a huge thing. Like third ID in Georgia used to have them down here in Texas. They had them. That was pretty much it. Everywhere else, I kind of switched to, like, um, Strikers, and there's some new shit out that I never was a part of or ever got to see, but it's like a one-seater type Humvee, and the MRAP was a fucking total waste. Um, whoever came up with that thing needs to rethink their life. That thing was a fucking... They still probably use it, but I think it sucks. I don't even know. I just went on a little bit of a rant there. I'm sorry. No, I was good. just sitting there just talking about the fact that these things, there's 15% of them are gone to waste. Which I also don't know if they're, they have reactive armor. I, I have, can you pull up those images? I haven't, I haven't seen any, including the leopards. I just thought about it. They don't have reactive, reactive armor. armor. No. I, Not that I've seen. And then, so reactive armor is kind of a big deal for everybody who doesn't know. It actually works fairly well. So essentially reactive armor is an explosive on the outer, outer shell, I guess you would say of the Bradley. So, uh, we'll, we'll we'll put a normal Bradley up on screen. It's It's got, I don't know what it is, steel or some shit. It's probably about that thick on the outer layer. But then reactive armor makes it like this much wider. Now, the reactive armor itself, say, around like, hold on, I got one. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a photo of any reactive armor. There's no reactive? Okay. No, not from what I've seen. So say you have one of these things flying at you. Okay, it's not going to look like this. It's going to look, this is a little different. So when this thing impacts the outer edges, it's not, actually, this is a terrible... Anyway, one of these will be flying at you at some point, I guess. And when it hits the outside edge of that reactive armor, instead of this thing exploding in this little knob here, penetrating through, basically sucking everybody on the inside out the other, out, out of, outside the other side, out, out the other side, or just imploding and killing everybody inside of it, this thing will actually get, when it hits, the reactive armor will explode outwards and basically try to destroy this thing before it can kill anybody on the inside. And it is fairly effective. It really well, it's is. to set the charge off early. That's all you're trying to do. That's it is. because the shape charge in that works most effectively if it hits the actual rotomodulus armor rather through. than it gets struck early. That's what bar armor is for. That's what people have adequately named the cope cage. But that's what it's for, is if you set the charge off early. It's why Javelin has um, the two stages. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is the munitions that the Ukrainians would have to be worried about those things don't have two stages on them. No, no. That's why the reactive armor is so, so powerful. But the thing is, if you weren't like an EFP, an EF, man, I, I'm not, I'm not going to go down this whole rabbit hole. This actually reactive armor is really good. Unless you're dealing with a certain type of munition. That's basically just going to blow through it no matter what. And yeah. you, it's a certain type of shape charge. If you get a shape charge attached 
to some sort of IED, it's going to absolutely throttle through the outer side of one of these no matter what. But that's when you take like copper. They use copper for these EFPs because it... Have you, ever, have you ever seen like a copper? Yeah, copper. I guess it's like fucking scary. It's one of the scariest things ever in history, but they don't have to deal with that over there right now. If they had reactive armor, don't know how I got on this rant. My apologies for anybody who doesn't know what the fuck I'm talking about. My apologies. Um, if they don't have it, which I'm sure they do, they not have it. I, I haven't seen it on the photographs I've seen, but, but the thing is too that the majority of vehicles throughout this war, being either Ukrainian or Russian vehicles, have been killed not by um, ATGM, have not been killed by like shoulder-fired stuff. It's been killed by mine, or by artillery first and mimes. So the threat of artillery and mimes, I guess you may limit the reactive armour. Doesn't even really need the reactive armour at that point. No. no. Unless you, I mean, on the Russian side of things, they probably would like it, but it doesn't really matter because they got to deal with a lot more shit, like laws. Laws are pretty powerful. Maybe not really against a tank, but if you hit them with a, a, uh, a javelin... You, you don't reactive armor is pretty much useless at that point. You're pretty yeah. much fucked. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. Same nothing top down. Yeah, nothing's lost. gonna happen there. But I will say they are getting apparently uh, depleted uranium shells are gonna be going to Ukraine. So they're gonna get more Abrams later on this year, or Abrams. I don't know how many Abrams they've really got, but uh, I guess they're also the Challenger two tanks are getting depleted uranium as well. I mean that's that was announced in March, but apparently that's coming up here really soon. I don't know how much that's really gonna change anything. Not really. I don't really know why people are really excited about it, but. I guess it's something to mention. People just get hung up on the depleted uranium part and the think it really health matters. aspect and this and that. And it really depends which research you read about health. But most people say that the health effects are minimal, if any. But then you look into who conducted some of the research. And you're like, oh, Ministry of Defence. You're like, well, we've yeah. seen that before. Look at okay. look at things in Vietnam or whatever. With It's like, no, 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 this, this Agent Orange is fine. <sighs> So, but the depleted uranium, there's not much evidence really floating around of it. But the depleted uranium is just in the Sabo. Like, it's so just going to happen. What about these these videos that the Russian Ministry of Defense, I'm watching one right now, of, I don't know if we can show it, because I think it's got dead bodies. Yeah, it does. It does. I, I don't, I, are these real? Yeah, these, yeah, are, yeah, yeah, these, these are real. Leopards are real. and a, a leopard to a six and And I see a Bradley. Yeah. yeah. But that's you got to remember that these vehicles have got hit in this one area, or a couple of areas, are being used as a massive informational campaign. I'm so confused. If you're going to go out there and you're going to release these kind of videos, would you at least send a, a decent guy with a camera? Like, looks like I'm trying to watch somebody try to record Bigfoot or an alien here. You know Fuck, what I mean? It's like, I'd why? be scared shit was going to that area too. Right. Middle of a field. Like, shit. Where Ukraine want those vehicles back desperately. The other side want to kill those vehicles desperately and you're trying to get a photo out there. Shit's wild. Yeah, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm sitting here watching. Yeah, there's a couple of dead bodies there, but yeah, there's definitely Bradley's. They're definitely Bradley's. Why are they so bunched up? God bless. That's the thing I still just don't never, I, I guess, I mean, I'm not on the ground. I would never know, but why that is happening. Well, that was more of the concern for a lot of people. Wasn't that they were going, oh, why are these photographs of these leopards or Bradley's being why are they so close? shot up? Like, why is everyone sharing this? It's, you know, it's not that many on the big scheme. Like, no, that's true. But if the training is all of that, then that's going to just be a huge problem. That you could have the best vehicle in the world, but if the training wasn't adequate enough for that, it is going to get, it is going to struggle and break through. So tra- training, the, I think you brought this up in the last episode. Training for in a, a lot of people think, well, when I was in Afghanistan, Iraq, we were things. So mechanized units were not. They were really big at the beginning of Iraq, but towards the end, everything was going to be light. So everybody only really cared about that. And Afghanistan was mainly light as well. That's why everything got rotated over. But training for for mechanized Warfare is actually 
takes take some time. You, gotta, you guys got to think about the. You can't you can't really see very much, so you you have a you're inside your your I mean the driver he's got a, a peep like he's looking through something like periscope. This big. He's not looking through very much, you know. He's, he's not seeing very much. Granted, the gunner they do have certain type of stuff they can actually maneuver and see around, but I mean you're really relying on communications and actually comms equipment and actually having like, I don't know. I could see how they could get jumbled if they have literally no training whatsoever or just a month's worth of training. A lot of these guys in the military, when I was in, they'd have like two years worth of training just and it. We would, they would run drills constantly. It wouldn't be constantly every like three months. They'd have to go do it and research and everything or six months, whatever it is. But, I don't know. And I, things I, move so quickly. Oh, especially, especially, especially in the, the war. It's wartime. Yeah. You're getting shot at. You throw a little bit of stuff. Everybody can Everybody can do. That's why I always laugh at these guys in these gun range videos who, like, they get out. They wear their, their tactical gear. They're, like, shooting the steel targets. Like, okay, well, that's cool, dude. Let me get on the other side of the berm and, and shoot back at you and see how well you do at that time. I think everything changes when bullets start flying back at you. I, I don't know. Everybody also reacts differently. But I, I don't really. I guess it comes down probably mostly to maybe poor training. Uh, there could have been a lack of communication or no communication, no comms equipment. The comms could have been down. Comms go down all the time. People don't also realize that. Oh yeah. Comms inside of this kind of stuff, not just inside of these vehicles, but just in general in the military is sometimes lackluster but, at best. Yeah, but and nor have our militaries recently fought against an enemy with actual EW capability either. Yeah. Like, and Russia, Absolutely. Russia has a real so, aid. Like people don't really know. will not give Russia credit for anything. But at the end of the day, they have EW, they have capability for electronic warfare, and that can interfere with radios, with drones, with everything like that. And I don't know personally what radios or what encryption the Ukrainians have inside those vehicles. Uh, they're going to have some type of encryption. Oh, yeah, but I something. doubt that it's 152s or 500s. You don't think so? But I don't know. Not, I, not, I, I some don't of the know. stuff that, yeah, they got to have some of the stuff we were using for sure. Like they not, may, but I'm not sure the level of encryption. Like, even the crypto shared between America and Australia are closest allies. And even then, the encryptions are not often shared. And it's a big problem. And, like, what a lot of people are pointing at is if there's a realistic possibility of those vehicles getting captured, then the uh, encryption, whatever, from the radios, where does that actually lie? And I don't know. But that is absolutely going to lie in the the level of... Because the thing is, that's... I'm not worried about that because... if that were the case and those radios were taken, the fill is meaningless because they would just put red out there or alert out there and they literally just refill. You just zero it all. But even then, it's still an issue. In five minutes. Because the thing is, they have the clickers. Or they probably, they, they're probably, I, mean, I can see our military give them those things at least. Bullshit ass clickers. Which is like the best thing ever. It's literally a green thing. They're literally just putting the radio turn and puts a new fill in it. Yeah. Yeah. The rascal thing. I don't know. I don't know. We also had one a guy in our unit actually lose one of those one time in Afghanistan. He got sent back quick. Yeah, and that's a huge deal to lose. Yeah. But that's more what I'm getting at is I don't know. What I'm saying is I don't know the level of the radio encryption that they're running. Therefore, how um, how their actual communications are to electronic warfare capability, how much can actually stand up. So we had that. Every time we were like up for an exercise pull, pull, mechanized. Pull back up. I wonder if they have jammers on those things. I didn't even look. I haven't seen the booms. Um, they might have jammers on them. Anyway, you, know, you guys want to know what's going on? It's summertime. You know, it's summertime. Big things are happening. 
HelloFresh is here to actually take the workout uh, and make you guys feel better about eating well. Reach your goals with delicious, calorie-smart and protein-smart lunches, dinners, everything. they got tons of options. they got new vegan recipes, too, for anybody who likes that kind of stuff. You also get farm-to-table quality with every single HelloFresh box because HelloFresh seasonal ingredients are picked at peak ripeness and travel from the farm to your doorstep in less than seven days for fresh flavors in every single bite. So figuring out what for dinner is not at all at the top of anybody's summer activities wish list. So check out HelloFresh. They have mouth-watering chef-crafted recipes and fresh ingredients to your door so you guys can spend the most of your summer doing what you guys love and just hanging with your family, partying, doing whatever. I don't care. Enjoy the summer. You have to. You only have so many of them. Don't spend them trying to go and pick out food for God's sakes. Also, it's 25% less expensive than takeout. Why wouldn't you want to save some cash while well, having them do all the work, it's great. I use it. My wife uses it. It makes our life easy because I'm always on the run, always moving. I've got a guy from Australia here. We do this thing every single day. Then I'm off doing something else. Sometimes I don't even have time to do this. I'm just always on the move. I use HelloFresh. You should too. So go to HelloFresh.com forward slash speak the truth 16 and use code speak the truth 16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com forward slash speak the truth 1616 and use code speak the truth 16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. Very, very easy. Click the link at the very top description. It's America's number one meal kit. So check them out. The link at the very top description. Thank you so much to HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode. How'd you find that piece? I've got a photograph, but I want, I just want to see. Real I, I don't think, I, I don't know what the gems look like on a Bradley. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah. I don't think they have. I don't see any jammers. So jammers are... I just see a whip. I mean like electronic... Um, countermeasures. Yeah, we used to. They're either going to be tubular shaped or flat shaped. Yeah, like almost like like that big or something. Yeah. And there's another round one, but no, I don't see any jammers on them at all. Hmm. But those things are also destroyed, so I yeah. could be incorrect. Yeah. I could be incorrect. But once you throw track, it doesn't really there. matter at that point. No. Throw track like we was talking about, you guys. You, you throw track, and you're now just one of the the largest basically pile up on I-75 and you just walk in rounds and you're, I mean, what are they going to do? You can still, you can still engage, but you can't move. And you can't do anything. You're a tank's a big target. Sitting, yeah. How about like five tanks? Yeah. Well, the big one they're pointing at is like the, the 2I6. That isn't the big loss. The big loss is actually the engineering type vehicles, like the mine clearing ones, because they haven't been given as many of those. Did they lose one of those in there? Three of them, as far as I'm aware. No, so this one at the front, you can see this engineering no, I, no, plant. No, I Oh, I see it now. And I then, now, yeah. oh, I haven't I got, got the other photo. I thought, it was just, I thought it was just uh, Tanks and Bradleys. So they are a tank-like variant. It's the Finnish variant. It's called like a Leopard 2 And it has the rollers in front. So have a look at this. These two. Yeah, with the rollers. And they're the Finn ones. And then this one here. Um, what I'm pretty sure this one is the one in the background here, but I'm not too sure because we're seeing a lot of photos and videos of the same event. But that's the big problem. Is like the leopards, whatever, that's one thing. There's plenty. But, and including the Bradleys, but those engineering specialist vehicles to move through isn't what's needed here 
it's needed to get through that actual the actual defensive line so, that's coming up. Oh yeah, which we haven't talked about yet. So you mind clearing vehicles, man? I don't know why they wouldn't just use an MRAP with a roller in the front. To be honest, with you. I think they are, but I think it's just so. There's so many mines that they, they need. So they can't just drive through this. They need to use a mine clearing vehicle. But then it means you then have to go in single file behind that vehicle. But then if that, like the people have this illusion that if you have a roller in front and it hits an anti-tank mine, it's not like bang, keep going. Like that's still a big problem. You can blow the whole front off that still. Like in a big AT mine. But not only that, is then these vehicles would have pushing through clearing the fields and then getting artillery at the same time. So you've got a, a field full of mines, then getting hit by artillery. That's a that's a hard hard thing to do. You know they like, should be sending them. Have you ever seen our? We have this. I'm, I've never actually seen one used in person. Okay. Yeah, shoot the They've got up. Them. They have it. Yeah, yeah. America gave Ukraine a number of those. Did they? Yeah. I don't even know how how many times you'd have to reload that thing. You have no <laughs> you idea. Know I, mean? I don't know how it works. I've seen yeah. it work. It basically just shoots out a big bit of like. Uh, explosive cord. Yeah, cord. shoots out yeah. dead cord, lands, they hit it, and it goes, Doosh. okay, yeah. well, there's maybe nothing there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, Ukraine has got a, an amount of those. But the mines, because like, as they're rolling through these fields, they've got the anti-tank mines, the FPV drones, like the suicide kamikaze drones, and the artillery. And soldiers dug in. That is such a hard thing to move through. And people are like, oh, look at these losses. You're like, we expected this. Like, the breakthrough phase, which could take two, three weeks to break actually through. I, I There's right. going to be large losses. Like, I'm, you know what I should probably do for them? I should probably bring this mapping up here in a second, huh? Mm. Yes, no, maybe so. Because I think showing these lines that this guy had drill, drawn out, this Nathan, oh, his name is Nathan Russer? Russer? I don't know. Uh, like I said, I'm not going to take credit for any of this mapping right here because he has taken the time to do this and I'm not going to sit here and just copy it. But... I will say, if I were to do an overlay on my mapping, I probably could do it. But like I said, I'm a little bit lazy when it comes to doing this, especially since somebody else has already done it. Well, let me get this thing loaded. It does take a second because it is legitimately like satellite imagery. All right, so the area we're going to be looking at is going to be one of the areas they've actually had a little bit of, of ground taken over the last few days. They have taken this chunk of, well, these three, I guess you say, towns or cities or suburbs, Outside of Velkia Novoslika, once again, we're back to attempting to say names inside of Ukraine, which is always fun. Uh, just south of this main MSR that runs east-west. Now, we're going to be just north of Mariupol, which is going to be down over here. You guys can see. I actually have not filled in this little gap right there ever since they take it. But anyway, just north of here. This is going to be the area where I think that they're going to attempt to push through or spearhead for the most part, which I... I thought it might have been probably the area. I think Mariupol is a pretty significant area for the Ukrainians to attempt to take back just because it holds so... It's very significant in this war, I guess is the best way to put it. Just the name Mariupol and the, that town itself. Now I'm going to switch over to this gentleman's map. But they also need you to go down there too. That cuts off they the western side of the south. So if they can get to Mariupol, then you've got a huge problem with Russia's supply then to the whole south. Herson Zaporanzi Oblast. Like to cut that wedge down, the fight to the sea, as people are calling it, is significant, and that, that's what really needs to be done to then clear the south. And maybe it's another no, ghost. All right, so there's Velkia Novoslika at the very top. As I, the area I just said, he does not have, this gentleman doesn't have, like, the actual ground they're holding, so you guys are going to have to just visualize it. As you move south, this is all still Russian-held area. 
So the Ukrainians have still not pushed through any of this area you guys see on this mapping, just so you guys have an understanding. These two, these two northern ones called Nova Donetsk, um, that one, I believe, is, is controlled by the Ukrainians right now. In Novodonetsky it is, is back and forth. So there you guys yeah. go. Now you guys can see where Novodonetsky is. All this area right here is still Russian held. Now going back over here. Now you guys can see though these red lines. This is fairly interesting. These these are the actual Russian trenches and gun positions that are set up currently right now. These are updated, I think, as of what is the day today? These are updated today. Matter of fact, today. So these are updated as of today. This is, this is when it gets kind of crazy. I'm going to zoom in here, so you're going to have to give me a second. So I want to show you guys. You guys can actually see the gun positions laid out, and I do believe this is going to be one of the areas the Ukrainians are going to attempt to push through. I think it makes the most sense. The only thing I could see them possibly having the issues with is going to be minefields, mega minefields. And that's why you probably see a few gaps here. My God, I'm sorry. This thing is loading super slow, guys. But they're going to have a lot of problems with the artillery too. Minefields, artillery, pre-sighted stuff. Down. Is, yeah. So look right here. You guys can see these circles you guys actually see on this map. These are actual gun positions. Now, these gun positions do have trenches around them, of course. You got to have trenches around these gun positions because you got to have somebody to run back and forth to supply the ammo to the guys who are shooting the big guns. But you can see this trench line. It's not super thick in comparison to what's on the, the western side, which I'll show you guys here in a minute. But like just zooming out a little bit, as you guys can see, this is mainly pretty open. Up until this one point. Now, if you look over here, this is the one you guys see the multiple layers. You can actually see the multiple layers of entrenching, like the actual trench systems all the way. This one's this one's got three layers. Three layers. Now, I'm, 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 I'm sharing this with you guys because the Ukrainians still have not even hit and or have gotten, I don't know how many kilometers, are probably 10 to 15 kilometers away from this currently right now, which how many it's miles about, is that? It's about, uh, no, it's about 10 kilometers. It's about, about six ten, miles. Six, about six miles away. So I was, I was kind of good on my mm. guess. What are you talking about? That was a good guess. It's a good guess. Good guess. They're about 10 kilometers away from, from this currently, and there's, there's still the Russians are putting up a fight right now in this area. What's going to happen when the Ukrainians actually get to this line? See what I mean? When they get to this line is when we're probably going to see a significant amount of vehicles lost, men get killed. It's going to take a very long time for them to push through unless they somehow know something I don't, which I hope they do because that's what they're supposed to be doing is winning a war. But looking at this line, it does look like this would probably be the most least defended area. And the other thing is, is when you back up even more on these maps is there's not really anything past those lines. So between what you can see here, those gun positions all the way down to Mariupol. I mean, there is a little pockets of trenches and stuff. That's why this guy, I mean, he did a phenomenal job putting all these in there. But there's nothing really major. So you have this one line that's been built up over how many months now? Months and months. I don't even know. Over, over probably a year yeah. through yeah. here now at this point. And you can even shift more west. And I'm just going to do as this map's going to load with you guys. Look at this. Look how thick this one is. As you go more west... It's more difficult or how it's going to get significantly more difficult for the Ukrainians to actually push through. I mean, look at these lines. I know it may not look like much here, but look at the outer edges of the Polohoy. That, that's, that's insane. Like that is really is kind of insane. So the best course of action, the most likely course of action is going to be for them to come from that area over there where you guys saw these gun positions, push south and then push west from there. I have also heard and read that there is a chance that there is some Ukrainians or some Russians, excuse me, pushing out of the Kherson region and pushing east 
going north to try to fill in some gaps. I don't know how true that is. No one's going to know how true that is, but I thought I would at least mention it. But the farther west you go, the more heavily fortified it is around in these cities, like Tokmak and, and so on and so forth. They, they really can't. The Russians cannot lose these major hubs. Cause like there's Tokmak right there. You can see it's legitimately completely surrounded by trenches. That one city. Now look above Tokmak, though. How many layers of entrenchments are like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight before they even get to that city? Eight. That's 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 a lot. The thing is, though, with defensive positions, it's not dynamic. You can't move them. You like, move once you're them. there, they know where you are. They can. You're there, and you've got troops held up there. So. Part of the problem that I've had some people talk to me about with this is that with so many guys caught up in static positions, you still need to have a quick reaction force, dynamic elements that can go out and have strikes. So if Ukraine break through over, I don't know, somewhere in Rivnopol where there's two layers, if they break through there, they can't just have static positions. They need to have some level of quick reaction, whatever, from somewhere like... Um, Rosivtka or whatever, to then take up and dynamically move out and then stop that breakthrough. So that's what we don't know yet, is how that actually effectively works. And we know that Russia's um, integrated manoeuvre warfare throughout this whole conflict has been limited, like very limited. So that could really undermine a lot of these static positions. The static positions are going to get throttled pretty... Especially going... That's the thing. So I think they're going to pinpoint and spearhead through one area. That's what I think they should do, which will end up collapsing a bunch of the lines. That's the other thing, guys. So right now it's really spread out across, I don't know how many kilometers. We'll just say kilometers. Or how many miles right now it is in the southern front in Zaporizhia. I'm going to call it the Zaporizhia front. It's really wide right now, especially on the more western side where it's more heavily fortified. That means that both parties, the Russians and Ukrainians, both have to have men spread all the way through. I think it's. I think the the Blitzkrieg, the the Germans did a really good job of this back in World War II, and I think that's almost something the Ukrainians should attempt and probably will attempt, if they can garnish and get themselves an actual area to spearhead through. Because once you spearhead through, a, I wish I, I actually saw on on YouTube I saw somebody make a very good graphic on this. Is once you spearhead through an area that's entrenched like this, it's almost like a vacuum. You have everybody funneling through and these outer edges are just going to get sucked like this. So all those lines that you guys know, you see all the way along, once they get busted, they're going to have to pull back like this to try to stop the, the, that spearheading movement to get even farther south. Well, that's the whole idea behind the thunder runs. That's what we saw happen in Kharkiv. But like anything in life, it's um, uh, risk versus reward. The reward of breaking through and doing that is massive you can clear huge amounts of terrain whatever but with anything high reward comes high risk that if that gets cut off at any element you're going to have a huge amount deep within enemy territory get completely cut off from logistical supply so that's that's the risk with this as well and you know at war like this is the highest stakes of risk and reward there is so it's very difficult. It'll be interesting to see how this is actually attacked, especially without uh, air superiority in this area, or realistically much air cover at all. Yeah. With, you know, even the British MOD saying that Russia is using a lot more air power in this region as well, that the deeper they go is going to become even more and more that way. And it's risky doing this without without the um, 
air power we know is coming to Ukraine in the next six months. But they had to do it now. And, and the problem is the weather this week isn't great um, for this as well. Zelensky said that in the video, the weather isn't optimal. And in six months, we know that the winter does benefit Russia historically as well. And it actually benefits static positions as well. The dynamic movements in the snow isn't great. So it needs to get done. And what, we, what the breakthrough will see was really seeing that there's a few major pushes. So the big area seeing a push as well is to the south of Stepove, uh, Lobkove. So that's just to the uh, southwest of Orokiv. We're seeing another one where we just spoke about in around um, Marivka, which is there's been a lot of breakthrough there. And as well, some pushes in around, um, of course, Bakhmut too. So there's a lot of clearing there. There's a lot of back and forward fluidity in the line as well. So we'll see over the next coming weeks. But at the end of the day, this an offensive campaign isn't an event. It's a process. And it's not an event of an afternoon and you break through the line. It's a process of planning, failures, wins, whatever, and eventually moving through and taking up positions and moving um, then to where you want to go. And if this case, whether Berodiansk or Mariupol, from there, or you know, even initially, just maybe Tokmak or an area like that. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this then unfolds and what goes from there. I think I think I think something big will happen in the next two weeks. Really, pretty much when you leave. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much when you're out of here. Unless you figure out your life and you actually end up staying for longer. But, but depending. To end this one, I want to tell you guys right now, I just ran across something that uh, apparently there's a famous sperm donor. He's a father of 65 children. He wants to end the hobby of apparently giving his sperm to women and he wants to find love. What a legend. That just came across and I don't know if this is a photo of the gentleman, but that's what he looks like. So apparently there's a bunch of, if this guy is donating his sperm to 65 different women apparently you would be a high candidate <laughs> i don't really know but all right guys then oh wow there you go right there including more bradley and striker vehicles coming right there you're right yeah yeah june 13th they're getting 325 million is going to be more missiles launchers munitions and vehicles way to go america let's keep it rolling let's keep it rolling i wish i had a ticker that would come up to say how many how much money we have into this thing at this point. oh you could look it up there's a lot of a lot of stuff with that sure. i think it's about 100 billion good 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 good, good. which a lot of people are pushing back on because people are saying that's 1200 dollars per four person family so 100 bucks a month per family that's just the pushback that i've seen on it which is becoming more as this goes on it's going to become more of a political issue too oh god 20 you're kidding me what's next year some What's bit. next year? Which way are you voting? Red or blue? Which way am I voting? I'm voting whichever way is better for business. Because I'm a capitalistic man. So not blue. Not blue. <laughs> right. Well, business. I'm gonna I'm gonna immigrate, get a green card, and Kim Kardashian if she runs again. <laughs> because the whole, I think the whole system's a scam anyway. Yeah, so whatever. whatever. It doesn't even matter. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. I'll see you guys Jeez. next video, which will probably be tomorrow. So I love you guys. I'm out.